Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, Paisani. Thanks for listening to the Italian American Podcast. We hope you're all home safe and sound, and we've got a little something special for you today. So what you're listening to right now is part one of a two-part episode that's going to come out together. So if you go back into your downloads on your favorite podcast platform or here on the website, you're going to find episode 139, which is this one. And then you're going to find a special episode that's our first ever movie watch along. So if you want to listen to this episode first and get a glimpse into what we're going to watch and a little bit of where we're coming from in terms of our opinions and how we feel about this film, you can listen to this episode. It's about a half an hour. And then you can go listen to the movie watch along later on or right afterwards. But they're going to be on two separate downloads. So hopefully you guys enjoy what has been a really fun project for us to work on. And we hope gives you a little bit of opportunity to distract yourself from quarantine and share a great movie with your friends at the Italian American Podcast. So thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. See that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly You get stuffed with ravioli If your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your moderator, John Viola, and man, am I excited for today's very, very special episode. First and foremost, I am joined by Dolores Alfieri Taranto, Rossella Rago, and the notorious P.O.B. Pat O'Boyle, because I have convinced my friends to join me on a, an experiment of sorts that I think you all out there in the audience are going to enjoy very much. So I know everybody is at home and probably ripped through the content of every streaming service that you subscribe to. But I know for myself, you know, the first couple of days of this thing, I thought snow day, let me watch what I wanted to watch on TV. Then it became a little bit more realistic and then work kicked into gear. And, I, and it is true. Can I jump in? Yeah. God bless them. They have time. I have no time. <laughs> so if you're home and you have nothing to do, but stream and you're, t- you're sick of streaming, be out that take, come to my house. Because I got more work. I got, I got to clean out my house. I got so much to do. So blessed are you who have nothing to do. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that they'd be allowed in through your quarantine gate. But everybody is keeping busy. I know people that are working more hours remotely than they were in the office. But I know there comes a time in the week where everybody's going to want to watch something, distract themselves, get away. And we figured what better way to re-engage the old Italian-American classics, those warm, fuzzy blankets of our heritage, the cinematic treasure trove of our Italian-American experience, than to watch it with us in one of your ears, 
gabbing about it. So we are going to do our first ever Italian-American podcast movie watch-along. And we went out into the audience through social media, and we asked everybody what their favorite movie was. And, of course, we had a preference here at home. And, uh, Ro, since I think you are the authority on this picture, perhaps you want to share with the audience what we're going to be watching together today. Wow, that, that's an accolade that I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Come on, you, I think, have a PhD in this topic. Yeah, well, I mean, I did write a dissertation, about it, but that was years ago. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I was like, gosh. I was like, wow, I didn't know that. That's amazing. <laughs> well, actually, um, Italian film studies was a class at St. John's University, and uh, damn straight, this was one of the ones that we watched. It was when we like worried into Italian-American cinema and uh, Italian-American representations and films. So uh, Moonstruck is up there, and I mean... It should be. It's uh, written by a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright, John Patrick Shanley, who's written so many other things that uh, have nothing to do with Italian America. He's also Irish. Um, and it, and it's directed by Norman Jewison, who is Jewish and directed many other uh, incredible films. And, you know, a Jew and an Irish guy were really able to hit the nail on the head uh, in terms of how to accurately depict an Italian-American family in Brooklyn in 1987. So uh, that sentence doesn't work if I just say an Italian-American family, period. Because, you know, uh, if we know anything about our people, it's that the way that they behave and the way that the family structure exists uh, is very much dependent on time, on uh, setting, on an environment, right? So I think that these two were really able to make this film and make it in a really successful way because they weren't Italian. And I mean, we're wonderful people, but you know, we don't exactly always come with the perfect amount of self-awareness mm. To really bring forth our funny little quirks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's interesting to me. I think this is, you know, as Ro points out, 1987, Moonstruck, incredibly successful movie, wins three or four Oscars, best screenplay, best actress, best supporting actress, still regarded as a classic by most critics on any list, be it Italian-American, romantic comedy, comedy, whatever genre it's in, it really does receive a lot of accolades. But I think you're right. I think it's an interesting look because for many Italian-Americans, it ranks among their top portrayals of our experience. And there's very few Italian-Americans involved with its creation from, you know, Shanley the Irishman to Jewison, which, by the way, I would love my last name to be Italianson. I wish it was that identifiable <laughs> when I went out into the world that I was a proud Italian-American. Uh, you know, Cher uh, in the main role, who's not Italian-American, although she spent many decades married to a Sicilian-American and Sonny Bono. Um, Olympia Dukakis is Greek. Now, of course, the male stars, Danny Aiello and Nicolas Cage, are both Italian. And I think everybody out there will be familiar with the story of Loretta Castorini and uh, her humdrum life that turns around and, and, and sort of becomes this blossom of love and romance and vivacity uh, throughout the course of the film. And so we're going to watch it and, and comment on it during. So I don't want to say too much about it now. But one of the things that I'm really excited about, frankly, is we talk about this stuff all the time in family amongst our little group here. And Dolores, I know you have reservations about the film, which frankly I think is really great for this kind of content because I think it's nice to have a different perspective. And I know the rest of us are fans in different levels. Tell everybody a little bit about 
your reservations before we go into it. And I'd love to get a little bit after. <laughs> yeah, I'm like one of the very few people who is not head over heels for Moonstruck. Uh, I just, I just have to live with that. I just have to come to terms with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm aware that I'm in a very small minority, um, but I see everything Rosella just said from a different angle where she sees it in praise and kind of like excitement. I, I see it from this angle of here we have a movie where like no Italian Americans were involved in creating it. That is in essence, a caricature of Italian Americans, uh, an overblown histrionic portrait of Italians during a certain time. Uh, and I, it rubs me the wrong way. I, I can't, when I watch this movie, it's cute, it's charming, it's entertaining. You know, I, I totally see all that. I get it. And it's not one of those movies where I'm like, ugh, I'm like disgusted. It's not like that. Yeah. It's just, I'm just, I can't get past Wait, so I have two questions. that. I have two questions. I have two questions. Number one, if we just change that Shanley and Jewison were two Italian-Americans, Italian would that change the narrative for you? Uh, yes, it would. But if they did everything the exact same way, but they just, one was from Napoli and one was from Sicily, like one's mom, even if they were half Italian. Knowing me, I still wouldn't be crazy about it because I just, I just tend to not be nuts about a lot of the movies. Like John and I, you know, talk a lot about like he, you know, like loves Fatso and. Oh my God. Like, Don't I, go there. I can't that is the greatest <laughs> movie. Stop. That is the greatest movie that has ever yeah. been created. If the, when they did the hundred, the hundred greatest movies of all time, Fatso. Is he absolutely See, I can't even get past the first five minutes. They said wow. to me, Delores, so yeah. wait, question number two. So if Moonstruck was still Moonstruck, but they took away all the Italian-American connotation to it, if the Castorini family was the Logan family, would you think it was a, a good film? Would you think it was a good story? Mm, I feel like I wouldn't care. That's like the feeling... <laughs> I have where it would just it would just be like another movie I mean like I would just be passionless about it I mean or just have a kind of a negative or not a negative a um like a negation what's that what's the word I'm looking for neutral 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 well it's I hope that after we watch this together and each of us gets to share what it is we like or don't like or see or how we see it I'm really excited about the fact that we're going to get to do that together and share it with the entire audience because I'm sure you know a, a lot of these movies from the ones that are considered universal classics down to, you know, look, there are some people who love, uh, what was that cheesy movie about like love and little Italy and people are fighting and then the, the guy from star Wars was in, I don't even remember what it's called. Yeah. Something like little Italy romance. Some, but like, there are people who think it's the greatest uh, representation of Italian American families. And, and, and for some people, the Godfather is slop. So it, it goes right. the whole way. The thing about Moonstruck is that, you know, it won a bunch of Oscars, not because it was a great Italian-American film. It won a bunch of Oscars because it was a really strong story. It was a really strong script. And it was supported by tremendous performances, whether they were Italian-American caricatures or not. You can't deny that it had all the ingredients for just a runaway smash hit 
romantic comedy. You have this Cinderella story that is central to the plot. You have this great romance. You have the whole uh, internal struggle of this really strong female lead, Loretta, who's, you know, take away all the Italian out of it. These two guys, one's the bad guy, one's the good guy. Who is she going to choose? Who is she going to end up with? And, you know, you have gorgeous cinematography because Brooklyn, New York is a character in this movie. And it really sets this romantic stage for you to fall in love with all the crazy people and the things that they're doing. But I don't think the Italian parts of it are make or break. And I think Roger Ebert really said it best. Reviews of the movie tend to make it sound like a madcap ethnic comedy, and that it is. But there is something more here, a certain bittersweet yearning that comes across as ineffably romantic and a certain magical quality. I I think that says it all. I find this conversation really interesting on a lot of levels because for me, I'm in the pro Moonstruck camp around its portrayal of Italian Americans in a lot of ways. And we've talked about this off mic for years. And I always find it very fascinating and sort of surprising that two non-Italians, in my mind, actually captured a lot of what I see as not very stereotypical nuances of who we are. Now, that could be my personal experience as an Italian American from Brooklyn. And my personal experience uh, around those sort of touchstones could be what I attach to. But Dolores's feelings bring up a really fascinating question and one that we probably won't be able to answer. But the question to me is, can an Italian-American watch something considered Italian-American cinema without their ethnic identity being a driving force in their opinion on it? Can you take your Italianness out of how you watch and look at a product. And I, and I don't really know if you can, because for me, most movies that I watch that even attempt to address our community, I watch with a far more critical eye. You know, Pat always talks about how romance has been redefined by cinema and this idea of marriage as a romantic pursuit. And uh, you, you look for your soulmate versus what it was before, which was really a, a compact and an agreement. And it was, it was the way you had goats. One father had a son with goats, one father had a daughter with land, and they made it work. It was a business. Exactly. And so, commenting on this. No, because it's a good point that cinema redefines a lot of our own view of ourself. And we, as a generations who were raised in a world where cinema was everywhere as the most accessible and democratic medium to get a message out, especially prior to television, but let's call the visual arts of television and cinema one thing it's actually a huge part of our self-identity. Like, you know, you meet a lot of Italian-Americans who think the greatest in-tribe statement they can make to each other is leave the gun, take the cannoli. And I think to myself, how many of these people have even ever been around a firearm? But, you know, this is in their consciousness because cinema becomes a part of ourselves. So it's gonna be interesting to watch this in that lens. Don't they say the mob became the mob after the godfather in the sense of all the mannerisms they took on yeah the mob took on the mannerisms of the movie it wasn't the other way around yeah in a lot of ways life imitates art and i think cinema is the most democratically accessible art form and so it's interesting to watch in that lens but you know to go with dolores fed so much like the term godfather was invented by mario puzzo to what it's become today did you know this you guys know yes what happened was the idea of the head of the, of the crime family, they wanted a term for that when they were trying to, and I, I'm like I said, the, I'm not the movie expert here, Roe is, but they were trying to articulate who the head of the family was. 
And they use the phrase like Kumbara. Kumbara is godfather. And they kind of morph that into the head of the family. When they were Napa Alecho, the families, no one called anyone godfather. Pretty amazing to think about how much we take from these portrayals. And, you know, we could have a whole episode in the future on the on portrayals throughout history, because you can go back to Rudolph Valentino and the swarthy Latin lover and what that meant. Or you can go to like some of the early radio shows like Life with Luigi. And, you know, you've got non-Italian Americans in a very bad parody of an Italian immigrant accent getting into all these like troublesome situations. And, you know, to me, that's a whole obviously genre of study and a whole topic. But I think keeping that in mind as we do this, is going to make a movie that some of us love, some of us don't love, a lot richer as we watch it. Can I just say one thing about the, the non-Italian view yeah, of this? Yeah. I mean, I'm Irish-Irish, because my father was born and raised there, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm Irish in the sense that I can understand it. Shanley and the rest of them, it's like they're watching someone else's movie with a mix of awe and horror. So Ireland is a country of suck it up, don't complain, it could be worse. The famine just killed half of your family. Who are you to cry? Could have killed the whole family. Uh, we have a horrible climate that makes it very hard to, to feed ourselves. And we're getting hit by plague and disease. So the thing in Ireland is we got to row together. Don't cause trouble. Don't stand out. Just do what you're told and row along. The Italians are the opposite, right? So the Italians like hang their, their emotions on their sleeve. Like, oh, so where's the Irish guy saying? Oh, you know, who am I to complain that half my family was wiped out by the famine? It could be worse. The Italian's like, oh, 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 you know, woe is me. Oh, how I suffer. Oh, no one works as hard as I do. Oh, who are you to tell me to do that? They're completely opposite values. And I think in the Petri dish of places like New York, and we see this even in the Chronicles of the Church when the Italians came here from the Irish priest, the Irish were kind of mystified and horrified by what they saw. Mystified that they really are envious I don't know if the word is envious, kind of like, um, yeah, a little, I would say kind of like awed. You know, like when you watch a great football player, like, how did that guy make that pass? Yeah. It's kind of like, I can't understand how these people can be so free with their emotions because I was trained my whole life to shove it all down and kind of like horrified. And you see how those people are carrying on. It's a disgrace. So, sure, is Moonstruck a bit of a caricature? Sure, it is because it's like they're outsiders looking in on us, and this is how they see us. Exactly. But I don't see it like there are movies that came from ignorance. Moonstruck does not come from ignorance. So like my blue heaven kind of had this spin of like, you know, uh, Italians who are sucking spaghetti 24 hours Mm -hmm. a day. And like the the film Married to the Mob was more. Yeah, right. I don't think that's fair. I grew up, uh, spent so much of my life in Carroll Gardens and. Uh, I know people that were exactly like that. I, you know, I don't know. Don't take this wrong way, Dolores. But when I think of Olympia Dukakis's character, I see your mom a little bit. You see my mom a little bit. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, you know the same uh, way she carries herself in that way. I mean, I felt the role Olympia Dukakis played as the Italian mother. The whole Rose, wake up, who's dead? My mother says that. My mother. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I mean, there's definitely, again, as I said in the beginning, like it's, you know, you can see it's charming, it's entertaining. So it definitely has its moments like that, that are funny. I mean, my husband and I, him and his family absolutely love the movie. Growing up, they watched it all the time. You know, the scene when Danny Aiello's in Sicily and the mother's quote unquote dying. I mean, we like 
do that scene all the time. It's hilarious. Of course, I see in some respects an element of truth. I think that one thing also to consider is that Rosella and I grew up in very different places. We both grew up in New York, but Rosella grew up in Brooklyn and I grew up in the Hudson Valley. And I think that that is a big thing too about this movie. I think it is very Brooklyn centered. And her Italians were much more reserved. I got the crazy. Right. Like, well, and they, right. The, the, yes. the, I mean, having been on both sides of that experience, leaving Brooklyn and going to the suburbs, you know, I think that the suburban experience or rural experience or, or where we're not in a concentrated majority, where the neighborhood is not a character, as Rose so eloquently points out. In this movie, the neighborhood is a character, which is interesting because it's Rose's neighborhood historically and also Dolores' husband Drew's neighborhood. But I think when you leave that safety net, you look at portrayals also very differently because you are experiencing the outsiderness of everybody else relates you to every portrayal, whether you like it or not. So there's a sensitivity that comes with it, mm, I think. That's well said. Yeah, I think that's yeah, really you know, part of it. I think that's very accurate. And, that, yeah, and that's really, maybe that's perhaps why uh, I am the way I am with a lot of these movies. It's a very, very interesting observation. Why? I'm, I'm kind of confused. Say this again, John. I'm saying like when you live in the enclave, it's harder for these things to bother you because you know what you are and the people around you are what you are and they know what you are. So you can see it as art. But when you leave the enclave and you're the outsider, which, you know, I think is a touchstone of the Italian American experiences. We're like this weird insider outsider because we're white ethnic and wherever we go, people are like, okay, you're kind of one of us, but you've got these weird, um, I'll say nuances or or cultural touchstones that we don't understand so we can make fun of, or we relate you to this portrayal because that's what we know about you. When you're not in the majority, you're far more sensitive to how a portrayal that is going to be consumed by a mass audience of non-Italians impacts how people look at you. And I think I know that sensitivity having been on both sides of it. I think Dolores probably has some of that from her own personal experience coming into viewing of these things. Cause I know, you know, I spent years very sensitive because I was in an all Irish neighborhood getting picked on a lot about my heritage and a lot of comments. I wouldn't watch the Godfather. I wouldn't watch Sopranos. And it was only as I got older and got a back into my people physically living amongst them and became a professional Italian American that I could actually take down the armor of like, okay, I'm ready to watch this stuff as art. And in many cases I found I attached to it more than I ever thought I would. There's two camps in this podcast when it comes to this movie. There's the Roe camp and there's the Dolores camp. Oh, God. Roe who loves this and Dolores who hates I'm it. I'm the only one in my camp. <laughs> and you, stand, and you 100% stand alone in that camp. But I think that there's another, because all of our years with NIAF, right? And NIAF was the great tent of Italian America. And I'm, I'm putting Dolores in this camp. There's the Italian American who is super sensitive to outside portrayal. And I saw this with people and there's a defense mechanism to it in the sense that who are they to paint us as buffoons? They don't have a right to make a movie about us. Yeah, and it comes from a deep place, I think, because I look at it and I just find there's like certain parts in that movie that you just kind of have to laugh, right? Like, you know, the son flying to see his mother in Palermo. One hundred, I mean, like, that's probably one of the greatest moments of the Dynamo Americans to the movie. <laughs> But it depends on tribal rights. You know, Dean Tambor says tribal rights. Like, do outside people not have the right to poke fun at us? But I also think that there's an evolution to us as a, as a people, right? I quote the Argentinian Creole mentality, meaning that at some point, 
you assimilate into where you become the base population, right? Like French Cajuns. I mean, they were native people in Louisiana before the French got there. We don't think of them. We see the founding population of Louisiana as French. So we think of New Orleans as Mardi Gras and a a Francophile type of uh, hybrid culture. And that's 300 years after the French got there and 218 years after the U.S. owned it. But they're now seen as the founding population of that place. Will New York be seen 300 years from now always having an Italian culture because there was just so much of us and we made a strong indentation? So does non-Italian Americans have a right in, let's say, a New York context or a Brooklyn context to poke a little fun at us just because we are so much part of the fabric now? Like, is that part of who we are now that the Irish guy from Bensonhurst Bay Ridge, he grew up around a tank. He knows what a pizza gain is because all his neighbors are eating it. Does that give him part of our tribal right? Well, listen, I, I think I can argue that many Italians and Italian Americans have made some really movies and shows about our, their own. Big time. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Streaming on Amazon right now. Go watch Graves and the show. It's horrible. <laughs> It's horrible. Made by all its everyone who was involved in the making of this film, every producer soup to nuts was Italian or Italian American, mostly Italian American. But it's basically a collection of all the guys who were extras in analyze this and analyze that. But instead of being background, now they're moved to the foreground. And it's just full of like horrible acting, horrible storylines. I find nothing good about. I don't look at a, at a piece of film or television and say, oh, an Italian person did but, it. You know, Ro, you make a brilliant point. And this is my question. Is Robert De Niro an Italian-American actor when he's only a quarter of Italian? Um, is James Kahn an Italian-American actor who has won every Italian award ever, even though he's Jewish and not Italian at all? I mean, what makes you Italian? Like, I was at a, 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 an Italian-American uh, charity event. I won't mention which one. Um, some years ago, and they had an Italian-American actress there. And she got up on the podium and said, like, I was stunned. It was the days before cell phones could record things because I would have had to record this, but no one would ever would have believed it. She got up and said, like, my father's father was of Italian descent. I have no connection to the culture. Like, they asked me to come here, and I'm coming because it's charity, but I don't feel Italian. I know nothing about Italians. I grew up in an area with no Italians. But I wish that I had a relative that had given me a good recipe for sauce. Have a nice night. And I was like, why did we just go and give this person the money? They just basically said, I have no idea why you asked me here. You think I'm Italian. I'm really not. But you're doing good work for charity, so I'm going to come help you out. Which, on the other side of that, you have... Many Italian Americans who have made what people consider high art portrayals of organized crime, who are banned from these award ceremonies, who are who are you know decidedly Italian American and passionate about their heritage, and there's an argument as to whether or not you should recognize their art. Right. And my feeling is, I think if you take that actress with the Italian surname with the vowel at the end of her name, who basically said, got up and said, I don't know why you people think I'm one of you. I'm not. I think Shamley deserves the title of an Italian American more than she does. And he probably grew up around Italian-Americans. He probably kind of earned it. I think we're going to have to redefine ethnicity. Maybe it's like, it's like this is a wonderful life. Like what I love about this is a wonderful life is Frank Capra made an American movie from an Italian root. It's really the first movie where 
we're American. We are a hyphenated American, but we're part of the scene. Maybe Moonstruck is also a continuation of that. That's a great point. That's yeah, a brilliant point. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, I respect everyone's opinions. I think everything, Ro, Pat, everybody, John, you have been saying very, as usual, insightful, eloquent. Um, as far as Italian-Americans who make bad movies about Italian-Americans, I mean, they should be ashamed of themselves as well. You know, I don't have, like, a necessarily, like, a compassion for that just because they're Italian-Americans. They have a responsibility as well. I think that the bottom line here, and I invite everyone listening who's about to watch this with us to watch it in a way they probably never have, which is how I see it. I invite you to think about a depiction of another culture by someone who is not part of that culture. That is what we have here. You could say, uh, as people like to tell me a lot, the writer described it as a love letter to Italian Americans. That's terrific. You know, it's better than he described it as hate mail to Italian Americans. (laughs) I don't think you can watch this movie and see an intent for maliciousness, right? Or maybe even mockery. But I do think that when you're writing about another culture that is not your own, that you do have a responsibility to be like super sensitive and mindful. And maybe that's a difference between 1987 and now. But like, for instance, as a writer, especially these days, you can't write, like I can't write a story where the narrator is a black woman. Yeah, it's a different world. I would get crucified, (laughs) to be honest. It it would be a very, very third rail decision for me to make. But if I did do it, I better be sure that I understand the experience a black female narrator, let's say in America in a certain time period would have. And the bottom line is like, I can't. And I know that that's a difference of skin color, But I think that that also dovetails into the deeper conversation of like what Pat was pointing to, which is, is this okay because we're just white now? It's a great question. Have you ever read the book Memoirs of a Geisha? No, I never did read it. Written by a white Englishman. Wow. Yeah. And I would, I would love to talk, wish I had like an Asian American on right now or a Japanese person. I wonder what their opinion was of that. No, I mean, I think even they were stunned at what a what a fantastic representation it was and how, how the, you know, the portrayal. I mean, I'm surprised you you take that position because you're, you're a writer, you're a very good writer. And I don't have a problem writing men or writing male characters when I write, when I write short stories, when I write, and I, and I, and I think I can get it fair. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know that I can agree with that. I think we we're people. We can only write what we know, but I think it is possible to know another culture well enough to write about it in a good way. It, it's funny. I fall into Dolores's camp on this one, maybe more so because of writing and having loved and watched Moonstruck for so long. Maybe I'm not looking at it objectively anymore in in the same way. But like, first of all, I think the sensitivity to writing or doing anything having to do with anybody. I mean, like I remember the story of the young lady who wore a sari to her prom. This white girl wore a sari to her, an Indian sari to her prom. And it was called cultural appropriation or like a kid comes in with dreadlocks and it's called. So we are way off the deep end on sensitivity to begin with right now. So as a general society, the electric fence is just waiting for a touch. But I think when it comes to a portrayal of the life of a community like ours, I think my sensitivities kick up, again, probably because of my 
leaving the enclave and going into my own domestic immigrant experience. But I think also part of it is maybe a little bit of failure on our part to find the vehicles to tell our own story to a mass audience. So I think there's a bit of hesitancy whenever I see a portrayal that doesn't have an Italian American's fingerprints on it. And as you point out, Ro, in the very beginning, we're not a particularly good people at objectively telling that story. Like we talk about it a lot on the show, but I remember when I was working at NIAF and I sat down with uh, John Maggio and the team that built the incredible four hour documentary on our experience that has been universally loved. And they were looking for some support from the community and every group frankly had rejected them because they didn't want to talk about the mob. And I remember thinking, well, I want to support this because we need to talk about things that we're uncomfortable with. And when I finally watched their unfinished product, I was blown away. Um, But I remember not being surprised, but being disappointed at the fact that the majority of our institutional community was going to pass up the opportunity, really the first opportunity we've had in a long time for a nationally disseminated, excellent piece of film about us, uh, talk about a love letter to us, because they didn't want to talk about something that made them uncomfortable. And so there's both sides of that. You know, We are limited in our own retelling of our history, but then sensitive about somebody else doing it. So it's really, it's dichotomous. And, and I think this movie, whether we recognize it or not, falls into that sort of little middle ground. Yeah. And, you know, this is not 19, like, you know, 40, where like John Wayne movie, where all the, you know, Native Americans are played by South Americans. This is the 80s. I feel like Italian Americans were still like marginalized in the 80s. But, you know, also the fact that the leads are not even Italian. You have a person who's not of the ethnicity portraying the ethnicity. Also something you could never do with any other ethnic group. And I think for me, this is the bottom line with this movie is, and again, maybe it's just nowadays, especially, but I say this all the time on various topics. What is permitted with Italian Americans in this country, especially, is not permitted with any other ethnic group. And this movie to me is one of those things. Dolores, I agree with you 100, 100%, yes. But also we're known for being an easygoing people. So the stuff that shoots everybody else through the stratosphere, we kind of brush off because I think like, yeah, you're 100% right. They get away making fun of us where they wouldn't with anybody else. They can blackface us in some senses where they, they ask like Italian-Americans in a parody sense where other groups wouldn't tolerate that. Right. And we tolerate it. Are we wrong to do that? That's a whole other podcast. But for better or for worse, we're easygoing with a lot of things. That's just who we are. And we brush it off. You know, I've said a lot of times is when we live in a balkanized America that's now kind of subdivided into racial, not even ethnic subgroups. So at one point in the 80s, I say more than 90s, Italian-Americans went from being um, blue-collar Catholic ethnics to white. So and I, I don't know what day that happened, but it happened. So now when people look at us, they're like, well, you're white compared to where they said 30 years ago, well, you're an Italian. But when do we become American? When do we become human? You know, part of the universality of our love stories are the human stories. Yeah. So when does it become a human story? I mean, I can appreciate things that Dolores is saying. We are like the easiest people to blackface in a certain sense. Case in point, J-Lo played an Italian-American in the movie The Wedding Planner. Totally ridiculous. Uh, But we laugh at ourselves too. Flip that around. Flip that around. 
flip that around, you know? That would never be okay. That wouldn't be okay. Playing a Mexican named Selena, and she's Puerto Rican. So, you know, everybody does it. And, And for the sake of art, things get loosened. And it can get dangerous. But the, the thing that I'm trying to say is that sometimes it takes someone outside of the ethnicity to tell the story that the person of the ethnicity is uncomfortable telling fully. Because for the sake of, of Bella Figura, we tend to hide things sometimes. We tend to hide the imperfect things, the uncomfortable things, the things that, you know, that, that maybe we, we don't want to highlight. But if you're going to tell the story, you got to tell the story. Mm. You get that. You know, and so many people want to be Italian, right? Like, we're, we're, we're everybody kind of like, I mean, we really don't, we're kind of like, um, who is it, penguins? We have no natural enemies. Our only enemies are ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, everybody kind of likes us. Oh, they either, they write us off as kind of like buffoonish or comic. Even like, and I don't like a joke about it. Like John and I had met people from Eritrea. They even like Italy. We invaded them and took over the country. They still said, ah, but you know, it was, true. Some, for some reason, people kind of like us, right? I don't know. Life is complicated. I don't know. These are very big, deep questions. They are. There's no easy, you know, we're not going to get out of this conversation in an hour. Yeah. You're right. I don't think we're ever um, going to solve this. We've been talking about it for years. Well, let's see how we feel about it after. I, gotta, I, have, I, have, I want this to go down on record. The glory of the Italian people, the glory of the Italian people, is when people tune into us, like, oh, we, we sound like, you know, like we're, we're a fun, happy group, but we're also deep and serious. We run the gamut of the human perspective. Yeah, that's true. We can be a lot of fun on this podcast, you know, talking about, yes, varying meatball recipes, or how do you say that in Malays? So then I just think that part of the beauty about who we are is the fact that we can, we can go 180. We can go from making jokes to talking about the meaning of life. Yeah, I agree with you. That's what, what we are. Well, this is a great opportunity for us to sign off on this episode. And what we're going to do is we're going to release this as we do normally on Monday. And at the same time, we're going to release the secondary part of it, which is the watch along. So hopefully at the end of it, we won't solve all the world's problems, but maybe we'll have a little bit of a closer to a consensus on how this film represents the portrayal and what it means in terms of our personal affinity for it. So we're signing off from the Italian American podcast and uh, you can go click the next download and come back and meet us to watch 1987's Academy Award winning. We got to make, now we got to go make another, now we got to go over again. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a when the world seems to shine like you had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, ting-a-ling-a-ling, ting-a-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Bravo, John. Hearts will play, tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay, like a gay darandella. Lucky fella. When the stars make you drool, just like pasta basil, that's amore. When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signora. Mama! Scusami, but you see back in old Napoli, that's Zamora.